Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know, uh, thanks very much for listening in on the show today. Uh, we just wanted to let you know that there is an amazing challenge that we just launched called the Unlimited Client Attraction Challenge. Now, for you guys that are interested in learning more about how you can generate leads. Now, I'm not talking about normal leads. I'm talking about highly qualified leads. How you can how you can learn the simplified strategies that some of the go-to experts like myself and the thought leaders that are using specific types of strategies that are growing their companies at exponential measures. So we're going to be taking you through a six-day challenge, four of them, four of the days, we're going to be going through a step-by-step guide of four strategies about what you need to do in order to grow your companies. Uh, me and Beata Shalette, who's my business partner on this, we're going to be walking, hang-holding you and going through all the different aspects. These are the ch- strategies that we're using in our own business right now that is working down to the ground that you guys need to implement implement into your business straight away. So the website that you need is theclientattractionchallenge.com. Um, the link is below for more information. It is practically free. Uh, make sure you check out the link below. Uh, it's going to be absolutely epic starts October 27th, 6 p.m. UK time, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll see you again on the challenge. Cheers. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today we have another great guest here on the show, and I'm going to tell you how we met actually only a few weeks ago. Um, So who do we have here on the show? Someone that is very unique, uh, he's award-winning, and his name, I'm gonna get get this completely wrong and he's gonna laugh at me in a second. He's a a H-E, there we go, is (laughs) H-E. There we go. There we go. But but most of his friends call him uh they don't call him EZ, by the way, because we were just laughing at that, but easy. Okay, we just call it easy. How's that? As as easy sound good. As as there we go. As as Britain, ladies and gentlemen, right? Who is basically the uh, the CTO of a former member of Impact X Capital, which is a venture capital fund dedicated to funding. Um, what we call underrepresented entrepreneurs. And um, he's also the co-founder of a company called Code uh, Untrapped, working to support diversified uh, technologists and tech startup founders. Uh, he's the, he's, he also sits as an advisor and mentors multiple different startups in the tech world. Um, he actually started off his um, should we say he, he's got a massive diversity of experience in the investment banking world, especially in the tech hub. Uh, and in 2019, he was awarded uh, the Venture Capitalist of the Year, okay, by Industry uh, Tech Alliance. And this year, he was named uh, MBE for his services in diversity for younger people in the 2022 New Year uh, Awards. So, without further ado. Easy. <laughs> I'm still not going to get it right, am I? I'm still not going to. Ez. 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 Okay, Ez. Ez. 
Ez, great. There we go. Ez, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Thank you, Adam, listen, for having me. Listen, well, should I call you Ada? Yeah, don't call me Ada. Do you know? You know, because I'm here in Turkey, ladies and gentlemen, right? So what they call it, like they call me in Turkish, by the way, they call it Adem. Right. Adem. So, so you can call me Adem if you want, because I'm in Turkey, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and I just call you, I just called it Ez. There we go. I even go. said it correctly. Perfect. There we, there it. we go. Perfect, exactly. right? Oh my God, like 50th time lucky. Anyway, listen, um, ladies and gents, um, re really looking forward to today's conversations. It's interesting how um, me and Ez uh, actually met through a pitching competition. This was only, what, about three, four weeks ago from when we were yeah. recording. And um, he was one of the judging, uh, judging panels, should we say, uh, through a big pitching competition that we had here in London. And interestingly enough, I was there pitching. I was in one of the regional finals. There was a really strong, I mean, there was, there was some really impressive pitches on the evening. Sure. And, um, and, uh, and, 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 and Zed was basically there, you know, he was there judging me and all the other pitching competitors and stuff like that. And that's how we, and, and just after conversations, after the, the competition and stuff, you know, we hit off like a, a house like fire and I was really impressed with his credentials, but also, you know, there was just some really great conversations that happened. So I just want to say, welcome to the show, my friend. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. I mean, thank you so much for having me. And even though it's kind of like, I must've got your name wrong at least 50 times, but hey, that's just kind of like, but we'll blame your dad for that. Cause you said that you're originally from Nigeria, right? Well, actually, so my mum was Nigerian. So, yeah, that, that's oh, okay. where the name came from. So, yeah. So, look, I, I've, I've had it all my life. Um, it's fine. I get it. You know, uh, you just have to have a bit of patience with people. <laughs> but you have to be persistent, right? The, the be... problem is when you give up. And that's, that's an issue. Right? <laughs> it's like, it, no, you've got to keep going. No, no, you can get there. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there, right? But I'm sure. I'm sure that, uh, like, you know, there's nothing, something, nothing more embarrassing that, especially if you uh, go to an award ceremony and they're like, "Oh yeah, we've got a great," uh, and, and then they start presenting, and then they say your name wrong, and I'm like, "Oh damn it, they said it wrong." There is, but but to be fair, I mean, it happens to me as well. I've I've had to hand out awards where I see the name, and it will be an Eastern European name, like uh, Polish or whatever. Yeah. And I'll, I'll look at it and I'll say, I have no idea how to pronounce this, literally. <laughs> and uh, it was, I, I did an awards for, um, I won't name the organisation, but a really great organisation. Um, and it was two names that one. And they were both just unpronounceable to me because I literally had no idea how, how, how this name is spelled. <laughs> so I did my best, but you butcher people's names and it's horrible. And I actually said to them afterwards, I was like, look, you're going to have people with difficult names to pronounce. Of course. Then you need to give us a head up, heads up beforehand so we can pronounce their names correctly. Definitely. Because it is embarrassing, not only for the person giving the award, but especially for the person receiving. For some people, this is the highlight of their year. For some, it's the highlight of, of their career. It may well be the first time they've ever received an award. And you've got some idiot like me up there butchering their name. So you have absolutely, I think it's so, so important that we put time and effort into trying to understand these things. It's, yeah. it's vital. Definitely, definitely. Well, listen, um, 
looking forward to our conversations tonight. Um, and I know that we really didn't get much of an opportunity when we um, when we met in London, did we? And because uh, there was just it was a lot mm. going on and stuff like that. But I just thought I'd kind of yeah. take this opportunity to get to know each other a bit more and 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 kind of you know dive deep in deep in a little bit dive a, a deep a little bit further into your world in the world of, sure. kind of you know vcs angel investing and pitching and stuff like that you know it's a whole i mean we could probably practically be here all day ladies and gents so um <laughs> looking forward to today's conversations are nevertheless um I know that, you know, one of your big, um, and I think you've exited the business now, haven't you? Which was mm. um, the health and well-being um, company. That financial was. well-being, so neighbor. Yeah. 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 Did you, I, I wanted to kind of like go into that because that was, is that where, was that where you, it really started for you out of investment banking? And when you say it, you mean more of the entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I've always wanted to go down the entrepreneurship route. Um, from an early early age, my, I've originally I've, so I started off as a software developer, um, but um, and in the banking world, but it wasn't banking I wanted to join. Originally, I wanted to be in video game development, mm. um, but uh, because of my A levels and the rest of it, uh, I wasn't. I just couldn't find any companies that would take me. Right back then, and I, I did a year year an industrial placement year at university. So I went to University of Kent at Canterbury. I started computer science um, and you have to get a placement and I really wanted to find a, an IT company a tech company a games company to work for and no one would accept me no really? one right? wow. um, I, I applied to core design I applied to Microsoft I applied to IBM I applied to Sun Microsystems just whether it's video games or whether it was software just no one was interested because I had to reset my levels and all sorts right mm. um, and actually it was Lehman Brothers an investment bank that gave me my shot so I actually gave up on the idea of video games at that time when I worked for an investment bank as a Java developer. Um, and I was at Lehman until 2008 or 2009. And those of you who know, Lehman were at the center of the financial crisis. Um, the bank went under. And I actually stayed on at that bank when PwC came in and brought the company under administration. Because they needed a lot of us as a technologist to continue to run the complex systems because I actually worked in the credit derivatives team at the time, which was kind of ground zero for a lot of what went on. Wow. Um, but during that time, I was actually trying to build my first company, which was um, a protein shake vending machine business. So healthy <laughs> vending machine snacks, protein shake machines. Um, you know, and it was myself and a friend who were trying to build this thing. And we got we took a few steps along the road to the point where we had a manufacturer, we had Maxi Muscle were talking about working with us. Um, we had Fitness First talking about distributing our, our powder through their gyms and all sorts of stuff. And I think this is just two guys who've never done this before, being able to get these conversations going. But just the funding requirements for two people in the middle of a financial crisis who've never been entrepreneurs before, it just wasn't going to happen. Wow. And to try to get a, a vending machine a first vending machine built, like 400 grand, right? So wow. it scales up massively once you've got that first one done. Mm -hmm. But to get past that, those first steps, especially all the microbial issues and all sorts of dealing with protein powders, the center, it just wasn't going to happen. So then I went to Switzerland where I worked for Credit Suisse in equity derivatives. And towards the end of Switzerland, my time there, I was working on another idea, another software company working on auto-escalating notifications for investment banks, right? 
Um, super sexy title, didn't go anywhere. But it was after that that my co-founder um, from Na- at Neighbor, who I'd actually worked with during my time at um, Lehman Brothers, approached me about this idea for Neighbor. Um, and yeah, I, I said, Let, cool, let's do this. You know, after a bit of convincing, but I said, let's do it. And uh, we launched Neighbor and I built out the original core platform that sat behind the whole thing. Um, whilst basically working part-time in Switzerland and flying back and forth from London to Zurich every wow. week. So yeah, so that, that, my journey really started way, way back, but it was very incremental um, how I got there. But then, yeah, Neighbor was really where the entrepreneurship went full-time. Right? That was it. Now I'm on the entrepreneur pathway, and I spent about five years doing that. And then from Neighbor, launched Code Untapped and joined ImpactX. Very cool. And what was what was the? Uh, I mean, was that around 2012? Is, is, is that what you were talking about? So 2013 was when we started working on it, and then we officially launched it in October 2014. Nice. And where did the where did the whole kind of like opportunity? I mean, where did you see the opportunity? Because I know that I remember us speaking. Uh, at the end of the event, you're like, oh, you know what? I've got that on my ideas list, right? <laughs> Which we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about it, right? But how, did you, was it you that came up with the idea and then you kind of like, hey, I need to get like some business partners involved. I mean, what was going to, what was the kind of process, if you like? So back then, to be honest, my biggest idea was I, I want to be financially independent and geographically independent, right? So I wanted to be able to make my money from wherever I wanted. And really what I wanted to do was to buy a laptop, go sit on a beach in Thailand, and <laughs> build a like remote working startup of some kind as a software, as an IT expert or tech expert. Um, and then actually it was my co-founder. He came to me with the, the original idea. And I remember saying to him, this is too big. It's too much. And there's no way you and I are going to do this. And then he went away and came back with a, stream, a, a slimmed down version. And I looked at it and I thought, this is still pretty crazy. But, you know, and it was also to do with peer-to-peer lending within, within an organization, allowing employees to borrow and save together. Got it. And then ultimately deduct those payments from payroll. And we were like, hmm, well, I've never built a lending platform. We don't know anything about payroll companies and we don't know anything about actual lending. But we've, I've done 10 years in finance and financial services and investment banking. I've built risk and pricing platforms. Um, I've been trying to build a, a commercial platform for the last few months. Let's give it a go, right? So that's really where, where it all, all came about from. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Very interesting. Love that. Um, I mean, what, what do you say? Because I mean, I mean, you've exited that now. Did, you've exited that business now, correct? Yeah, I did a few years yeah, ago. A few years ago. What would what would you have said your biggest highs and lows of working in that? Should we say in that first major company of yours? Were there any kind of like major milestones or major headaches that you had to kind of really deal with? Yeah, so it's an interesting one. I mean, highs definitely highs. Yeah, you know, getting those first few funding rounds in. I mean, we raised like 200 million pounds, right? Oh, wow. So um, over the course of building that company. Um, but I, I still remember the biggest high, actually, considering we're an online lending platform and I built it in my bedroom 
Um, literally, you know, you hear the, the myth of the bedroom code. I literally built it in my bedroom, uh, right, writing code. And then actually managed to get to the point where I was writing code at work and doing all sorts of things, right? We won't talk about that. But, um, <laughs> but built this thing, launched it whilst living in Switzerland. And we were working with a client in the UK, so an organisation where we would lend, allow their employees to lend together, borrow and lend to each other. And I still remember that first loan application coming through. Um, and I was able to, I was getting all the notifications on my phone. Bear in mind, this was in 2013, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was, because we unofficially launched and then we officially launched. So I think actually, you know, we, we went live with a small client in January, February 2014. And I still remember that first loan request coming through, seeing it on my phone. And thinking we've actually got a loan request. It's amazing, <laughs> uh, and then processing it through and doing all sorts. And uh, yeah, it's hilarious because that first year, I think we processed maybe four loans. Really? Oh wow! <laughs> four loans. These were big loans, right? These like one thousand two hundred pounds, right? Um, four loans in that first year. And then this is the crazy thing as a VC now. Any company who said, this is our traction, you won. I'd be like, mm, okay. <laughs> okay, come back later. But that's literally where we started. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And I think um, that, that was definitely my biggest high. And genuinely for me, the big highs for me were seeing my team develop and seeing people developing as individuals. Um, even when they left the organization, eventually, I'll, I'll come back to that. But over the years towards the end when they left and went on to find work elsewhere, mm. the fact they were able to go from, you know, being paid 50 grand, 40, 50 K when I first hired them mm. to now being able to command 120, 130 K when they left me as contracts. That to me was a big seal of approval. I was like, look, I did that. I trained these guys up. They're now worth three, four times, you know, three X what they were when they joined me. Um, that, that was amazing. Love that. In terms of lows, I'd say the biggest low at the beginning was actually when my first employee quit. Uh, oh, wow. That was painful. That, that was a real blow to the ego. It was like, oh my God, <laughs> why has this guy left my team? You know, what have I done wrong? That, that was really rough. I forget about that. But no, that was a truly difficult moment. Um, and then, you know, there are all sorts of difficult moments. Some I don't particularly like talking about, but others, I'd say, one of the toughest things is the, the challenges with your co-founders, right? And there were some real challenges between us as a founding team at the very beginning, well, not at the beginning, over time, um, you know, high-pressure environments, you know, high stakes, challenges between founders, you know, CEO, CTO relationships, all sorts of things. And eventually it got to the point where as the business started to change direction, become less of a tech company, more of a financial services business um, where it's really more about relationships and the rest and partnerships and sales. And I just thought, this isn't really for me anymore. I'm not enjoying this. It's time for me to step away. And I did. I stepped away uh, 2019, no, 2018, I think it was. Um, and then I took some time out. It was also when my mum passed as well. So my mum oh, passed sorry, cancer. Um, and that was really like the final straw for me. I was like, no, this, I need to, I need to move on now because otherwise I'm going to kill someone in the office. <laughs> 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 I, I need to move on. 
It's the universe telling you, the universe telling you, my friend. Absolutely. So there are definite highs, definite lows. Very cool. And you have all the other stories of those times we've barely made payroll, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, it all affects us in different ways, right? Especially from like emotionally. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like you especially especially with your mum passing, I mean emotionally it must have a, a heavy toll on like oh, yeah. mentally did. as well. Do you know what I'm saying? So um yeah. I had to take a good year after and and I appreciate not everyone gets that luxury, but um after stepping away, I was able to take a year just figuring out what is it that I wanted to do. I was burnt out from building the startup from literally from scratch in my bedroom. To a company that raised over 200 million, lent out over 170 million, met over 100 employees. Um, and, you know, then my mum passing. I, I just, I needed time out just to reset, think about what I wanted to do. And it was during that time that I came up with Code Untapped, which was very much what I'd say is a feed my soul project. It was all about trying to bridge the gap between diverse technologists and corporates. And, um, it was a more of a personal mission for me because I, I would often be up there speaking about the founder's journey, being an entrepreneur, creating a company, um, and how it's never been an easier thing to do in the sense that it's never been easier to start, but you know, it doesn't mean you're going to be successful. However, I would still find that people like me would, were rarely doing it uh, at scale. And I've, I've always felt that the secret source to building tech startups is this the secrets in the word tech, right? It's having that technical skill set. We were able to build Navo because I could literally build the platform. And if you can't do that, you have a whole host of other challenges that you have to overcome. And I, you know, technology is so accessible in that you can literally, as long as you've got a laptop and an internet connection and a browser, you can learn what you need to from Wikipedia, YouTube, W3Schools, GitHub, Stack Overflow, there are so many free resources out there for you to become a great developer. Um, and yet, it just wasn't really happening. So for me, Code Untapped was about bringing those two worlds together. And then whilst I was doing that, I was then approached by Eric Collins and ImpactX. So it was a real journey and transition from, from one to the other. And the irony is, I said, one of the reasons why I left Naval was it become less of a tech company and more of a organization about relationships and financial services and now i'm in the ultimate relationships and financial <laughs> services industry, which is venture capital and it's all about relationships and absolutely services so so yeah it's been it's been interesting yeah i love it i love it i love it i love uh, listening to people's journey and how it all kind of all came about if you like i was going to say i have to ask you how did you and i know i remember us speaking very very uh, you know after the event uh, during the pitching competition uh, and you said oh you know I've got all these list of ideas and whatever it is how do you and, and, and maybe this is just kind of like kind of getting into your world a little bit but how do you come up with your own ideas and then how do you evaluate if psych is an idea to then pursue what's your thoughts on the methodology that's such an interesting question so I, I sometimes struggle with this myself ironically right and during my my year I just spent time just every time I saw a problem, right? And I was like, why hasn't that been solved? I would scribble something down in a little, in a, I had a um, uh, Google Notes, what's it called? I, can't, I can never remember what it was called. Oh, like a Kindle uh, type of thing? 
No, uh, Google have. What it's called, it's so annoying. Google Keep, right, is what they have. And it syncs between your phone and your laptop. Um, and it literally comes up. You can just take quick notes. And I just had a pinned note, notes on Google Keep where I just kept writing down ideas, 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 ideas about anything. It didn't matter what it was. Just wrote it down. Um, and I would berate myself about not being able to come up with global, scalable ideas all the time. Like, why am I not coming up with these crazy ideas? What's going on? Why are all these ideas so small? But I just want to say this to people, which is that very few people come up with a global, scalable idea day one. Right? Usually you come up with a problem that needs to be solved that affects people. Right? And you go out there and you attempt to solve that problem. And then you identify that actually... <laughs> There's already solutions to this problem, and I, not that many people really that bothered about it. And actually, you know, there's this idea of problem um, solution fit, but maybe I don't have problem market fit, right? And that becomes more of an issue. But by attempting to solve a problem, you often uncover other problems, right? You'll suddenly be going, "Oh, there's loads of solutions to this, but this one particular thing I keep coming across," and I'm having to solve it from scratch every time. There doesn't seem to be a core solution to this. And you start noticing, well, maybe other people are having this issue as well. And that's when you start to lean into, is this a real problem, right? And why hasn't it been solved? And maybe, and this is where you do have to really be honest with yourself, right? And this is where I talk about that problem market fit versus problem solution fit. A lot of founders find a real problem come up with a real solution absolutely it works it solves the problem right but this is where coming back to your original question is this a problem worth pursuing often when you find problems that have been sat around for ages and no one's bothered to solve it's because the market has found a solution that is good enough to the problem to solve the problem that people are okay with it it's not a perfect solution by any means, it's inefficient, it might be a bit expensive, or it might be super cheap and it's a bit rubbish, but it does the job well enough, right? That the cost of switching to anything else, whether mentally, physically, or financially, just isn't worth it. And that's where I have to caution founders. I get so many founders coming up to me going, look, I've got this great, it's a real problem, it impacts all these people, it's massive. <laughs> I'm like, right, why has no one solved it before? Well, blah, 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 blah. So what are they doing today that solves this problem? For them? Well, okay, they do this, that, and the other. Okay, right, brilliant. So you've got this solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does anyone want this solution? Yeah, everyone's told us it's a great solution and they want it. Have they paid for it yet? Well, no, no, no. But we've got a great waiting list of people who are willing to use it. Okay, how much are you charging? Well, it's free at the moment. So, okay, so it's you're giving them away a free solution and people are telling you they like it, but no one's really using it. Yet. Yeah, well, we're not quite there. Uh, okay. <laughs> Maybe you've solved the problem, but there isn't a market for this, this solution, right? And it's trying to identify those two things that can be really challenging. Um, and that's, that's really a process, ultimately. Yeah, I, I always encourage founders to try to, get people to pay to use to, to use your products, right? And there are lots of products out there which people won't pay for, but generate revenue in other ways. I mean, Google is a perfect example of this, right? No one's paying to use a search engine. No one. There's so many search engines out there. 
but the data they, that they, they can gather off the back of that is invaluable. So that's fine. It works, right? Um, there are others where actually you, you can afford to charge for the product because actually trying to leverage that data doesn't make sense, right? Uh, so there are, there are different models, and it's really about finding that one that fits for you and trying to scale that problem up. But if you sit there trying to think of that globally scalable problem from day one, you're, you're going to be there for a while. <laughs> you are. Love it, love it, love it. it I was going to ask you, actually, because you mentioned the word problem probably um, quite a few times in that. In, in that, in that. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask you this question because I wrote it down and it sinks beautifully into the next question. But does having a business or an idea, does it have to solve a problem or a pain point in order for it, in order for it to be scalable, in order for it to be right. kind of viable? Do you know what I mean? Personally, I think the best solutions are ones that remove friction, mm. right? Anything that removes friction from the process that either makes it easier, quicker, or more convenient is a winner, Got right? It. That's something I've seen over and over and over and over again. Convenience beats everything, right? People will sacrifice quality, for convenience and speed. They just want 100% will. And there's friction in all sorts of places. Anywhere where there's introduced new regulation, you guarantee to see new friction. Anywhere where you're seeing, um, where you have distance, you're going to have friction. Anywhere where you have supply and demand, you're going to have friction. Anywhere where you have multiple steps in the process, you're going to have friction. Anywhere where there's um, resource scarcity, you're going to have friction. And it's about identifying those friction points in the system that can be removed. And people will almost always pay for that, right? Mm. Because in removing friction improves efficiency, which means it improves time, and time is money, right? So if you can save people time, people will pay you, right? Because you can, you can put a dollar value on that, right? And that is always valuable to people. That's a good. That's a good point. I, I, I like the way that you kind of broke that down. Um, yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a really good. I hope, I hope some of the listeners that are listening in right now. I really hope that they're really kind of making some notes because I think that was a really valuable uh, value bomb that you dropped there. And I think that's a really good point there. Some really good stuff there. Um, now I have to go to pitching because I know mm. that I'm, I, I have to talk to you about pitching. Now, you, you must have had a, at least, I don't know, probably at least a couple of thousand people pitch you over the last sort of, I don't know, five, seven years or whatever it is or more. Um, what would you say from your experience are some of the things that make you cringe or they're like the no-nos when it comes to pitching, whether they're like, no, right. staying away from that. Does that make sense? But you kind of yeah. see like maybe a regular pattern that people are using or whatever it is. Is there any thoughts there? Yeah, that's definitely, there's, <laughs> and, and you're right. I mean, in the ImpactX pipeline, we've got well over 2000 companies. Yeah, um, We've probably spoken to at least half of them and I would have had 90% of those conversations. Um, and then there's all the other pitching competitions, pitching days, mentoring. So I've, I've spoken to thousands of companies, right? And founders worked with, advised, mentored through different guises. Um, so I'd say, firstly, 
there's two types of pitching, right? You've got your Techstars demo day, Y Combinator, where it's practically a mini TEDx talk, right? And it really is a, a big show, fine, right? That, that's one way of pitching. But then you've got your time with an investor type pitch, right? Where really it's about just get the information over to me efficiently, effectively, and quickly, right? So that we can get down so that I can understand it and then I can start asking you key questions. So just a stylistic thing, one that bothers me is when everyone thinks they're Steve Jobs, they think they're Steve, they're Dom Draper, and that one, it winds me up. It's this <laughs> opening. I want you to imagine a time or a place where people behave and you're just like, oh, come on, please, can we just cut the nonsense? Right, let's, let's get down to it. The other, right, and this is ironic, I've talked about finding a real problem. Some founders obsess over the problem so much that they spend most of their pitch talking about the problem, right? Now, I'm going to tell you, you, you mentioned, I've spoken to thousands of companies. It is rare that I hear a problem that I've not heard before, right? There are some genuine problems. That I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that was an issue, right? But for the most part, I've probably heard this statement before, right? Unless you're really putting a new spin on it, Please just get to the core point about the problem, right? And then let's, cool, got it, understood it. Now let's talk about what the actual opportunity is here and how you're solving this problem, right? That's a big one. I would say the biggest issue I see, though, and this is horrible and it's terrible, is founders pitching and after three minutes, you still don't know what what the problem is or the solution. I'm like, I don't know what you're actually trying to solve here. I, I really don't get it. And there have been times where I've had founders pitching. I've literally had to go, so tell me what it is you do again. Right? <laughs> um, and that is a massive issue, right? Because immediately I'm thinking to myself, this founder cannot communicate effectively. I can't understand this. And I like to think I'm pretty smart. And I'm going to have to try to communicate this idea to other people. And this is going to be a nightmare. And I'm saying that. Yeah. That's not bother. So those are some, some big issues. And then ultimately, not asking for what you actually need, right? It's like, well, okay, so great. You understood it. Cool. I understand it. So, so what do you need the money? How much money do you need and what do you need it for? We talk about that. So really being able to focus on the – honestly, it's just about telling the basics. Some of the most effective pitches I've heard haven't had any of these crazy embellishments – They've not been 10, 20, oh, please don't make it a 20-minute pitch, right? <laughs> They've been three minutes, and it's just been bang, fact, bang, fact, bang, fact. And it's just been, this is the problem. This is the solution. This is the opportunity. This is how we're going about it. This is why we're better than everybody else. This is how we make money. This is why we've been showing. This is the incredible success we've seen so far. This is why you should be excited about us. This is how much money we need. This is how you're going to make your money. And this is what we're going to do with it. And this is who the great team are. And it's just like, boom, 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 boom. And you're just like, wow, okay, great, fantastic. I understand everything I need to understand. Now I need to come to some conviction around whether I'm really interested in this space or not. But I get it, right? And that's what it's all about. Most people think pitching is about convincing the investor. The investor's already got their own thoughts and ideas, right? It's about make imparting everything in your brain that really narrows this problem and solution and everything down to its bare bones so that the investor really gets it 
feels excited about it and wants to know more about it, right? That's what you've got to be able to do. And the only way to do that is impart the facts and show growth and progression, right? Whether it's the problem is getting bigger, the market and the opportunity space is getting bigger. Our solution solves this for all these people. We have a great opportunity to do this and we've been doing it, right? We've solved it for X people and more and more people want to buy our solution, right? So everything up and to the right, whether it's the scale of the problem, scale of the solution, scale of your success so far, whether it's what you're going to be doing in the future, it's all about showing that sense of progression and growth, right? And if you can do that, people get excited. You get excited about the most boring subject if you can see that level of progression because ultimately, ultimately an investor is there to make money, right? Absolutely. And that's the thing a lot of founders forget. The investor is there to make money. Explain to me how I'm going to make money. <laughs> that's as blunt as it is, ladies and gents. As blunt as it is, I need to make money, right? That's it is. I'm not your friend. I'm not your mate. Exactly. I might have a core mission and a belief. Absolutely. I'm here to found and invest to invest in diverse entrepreneurs because it's I believe it's a major social problem and I want it solved. But I also need to make money at the same time. Absolutely. Right? So I need to know how am I going to, I know I'm solving my social issue because otherwise you wouldn't be in this room talking to me. So great. We've solved that particular problem. Now I need to figure out how you out of the other 2000 people that I'm looking at are going to make me and my fund, and my investors money, right? That's what I've got to understand. And so many founders forget that. You know, um, I remember when we shared our experience, when I was pitching to you and, uh, and your colleague on the, on the London night and let, okay, I know that you, I know when when we were speaking, you were like, "Yeah, um, you know, I I, I can't like be seen as kind of you know being excited about events because you said, you know, you've got to be seen as biased, right? You've got to be seen as mm-hmm. not being favoritism to, yeah. to other people or whatever it is." Be honest. Do you what do you think of of of, of the big clean ocean alliance that I've come up with? What's your thoughts about that? Because I know that you had it on your ideas list. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I had it on my ideas list: cleaning waterways with automated drones. So right? funny. I, love um, it. I, I think it's I think it's critical. I think so. As much as I say we need to make money, ultimately there is no money to be made if the planet is dead. Right? Uh, it's it's just that straightforward. Same with climate. And there is money to be made in clean solutions, clean tech, green tech, all of it. There is money to be made. There's lots of money out there, right? So it's not about becoming the next WeWork, the next Uber. Everyone says that, blah, 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 blah. I need to get a return. But also, I have a very strong mission-driven approach to things as well, right? And for me, clean oceans, clean water... Is, is critical it's it's the bedrock of almost our of the entire ecosystem that we live in right so if we don't take care of it we don't deal with it we have a real real issue so it's definitely a space that i'm excited by and interested in it's just how do you build a scalable business in that approach right and what is there that can be done with it that's really where it comes down to so the absolutely an area i'm excited by and I, I work with the water sector as well through uh, Spring Innovate, so the water sector centre of excellence. Water is the product that every being, not every human, every being on this planet requires. Clean water, right? Everyone needs it. Everything needs it. Um, and if we don't take care of our oceans and our water supply, we have a massive, massive problem. 
not that's not we're not even talking about uh, carbon capture and the rest of it and the damage being done through warming oceans and blah blah blah. But we're just talking about plastic in our oceans in this Absolutely. particular conversation. Absolutely, so it's a massive issue. But you know, I, there is definitely opportunities to be had there as well. It's about identifying which ones work. Uh, from an investor perspective, mm-hmm. which one? And some ideas, to be frank, are better driven by government. Some are better driven by a sovereign wealth fund. Some are better driven by um, private equity. But there will be those that fit comfortably into the venture capital space, and it's understanding which ones they are. That's the challenge. Yeah, that is the challenge. I love it. I love it. Now, I know that we're coming towards the end of our conversation. Um, and, you know, I mean, listen, this has been a, this has been a forward, a bit of an eye-opener from my perspective. And, you know, it's been, it's just been really, really good. But for people that are listening in, and maybe they have an idea, or maybe they have a business, and they need to look for some, I know that one of our clients, for example, I know that he raised, he's got some investors on board, he's in the software um uh, software business so similar to the areas of interest of you for whatever reason but my question my last question I suppose is how should how should invest how should people like entrepreneurs and or people that have got ideas approach someone like you because I know that there's a lot of mindset stuff that goes along here and yeah. says, oh you know uh, there's no way I can get access to, uh, to 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 whoever you know whether it be uh, you know Peter Jones or you know uh, the guys from Shark Tank or whatever it is like that there's a there's a real kind of like yeah. You know what I mean? There's a blockage. I'm never going to get access to that. And then they suddenly they yeah. just give up, right? But what's your what's your um, advice for people that have maybe that kind of blockage or that have that fear factor of, do you know what? Yeah. There's no way I'm going to get access. So why should I bother? So it's definitely difficult. And there are funds, I mean, like benchmark funds in the US. You literally, you can't approach benchmark. The only way you get investment from them is because a partner has introduced you to them, right? Got it. That, that's, that's how it works. And there are quite a few funds out there that are, you know, only warm intro. Uh, ImpactX, for example, uh, we have cold intro process. So we have an intake form on our website. People can apply, right? That's, that's what nice. we look for. Nice. And that's important to us because it's all about increasing the access. But no, absolutely, there are investors for whom you're just not going to be able to approach. That's just the way it is, right? And I think that's, this is the key, right? is identifying and understanding which investors are right for you, given who you are and what stage you're at and what market you're in, right? Now, that always seems quite contentious, but what I say is is, it's basically a triangle, right? You've got three corners of the triangle. You've got founder and team, you've got market and excitement, and you've got traction, right? Those are your three points of the triangle. And different investors will lean in to different points. Some investors will only invest in you if you've got a founder and team with serious provenance and track record. So you're all PhD students from Harvard, right? One of you has built a startup before and seen an exit, right? There will be funds who will only look for that type of profile. Now, if you're talking to a fund and that's what they look for and you don't have that, don't bother talking to them. It is a waste of your time, right? There will be others who are super focused on specific markets like crypto or fintech or insurtech or AI machine learning. If you're a consumer goods company making handbags, there is no point speaking to that investor, right? <laughs> it's just not going to work for you, right? 
And often you'll get an investor who say, I really like your idea, but it's against our thesis, I can't invest. And that is literally how it operates. Like Impact X, I might love your idea, but if you have not got a diverse founding team, I can't invest in you. I might be able to put my money into you, but I can't put my fund's money into you, right? So bear in mind, think about, are you approaching the investor or are you approaching the fund, right? That's really important. So really understand where you sit on that triangle. Are you one of those points or are you all three of those points? And then identify funds that really work for you. But one thing I will say is you cannot go wrong with having great traction, right? Great traction makes everyone excited, yeah? Forget the market, forget the founding team. If you can show 400% growth month on month for the last two years, trust me, people are going to be <laughs> interested in what you right? So traction, traction, honestly, I say this over and over again, execution and traction, execution and traction. Too many founders spend too, too, too much time speaking to investors, not enough time executing on mm. what they're doing, right? And I would say that's where you need to focus. It is great to be out there speaking to investors because the other mistake is to not speak to enough of them and you come to them too late in the process. There are some investors that want to have spoken to you for years before they invest, right? Some will make a move within a week, right? But genuinely build those relationships, build those, get out there, go to events, speak to investors, uh, be ready to pitch your idea, be ready to have that 30 second um, elevator pitch. But just be aware that if you don't have the traction or if you don't have the provenance or if you don't have an incredible market you're operating in, you're probably going to be too soon. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, this has been a, a, a great uh, eye-opener. I mean, it's been a great show. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed it. I know that some of our listeners, are, you know, I hope that you've really taken some notes here, depending on when you're listening to this, of course, and, and you know, you've got your notebook and pen handy and, you know, uh, it's really kind of really put in, poured, it, uh, poured a lot into your glass and really giving some great value bombs. So I just want to say, uh, Izzy, just want to say thanks very much for, for being on today's show today. No worries, Adam. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners for listening. I yeah, appreciate that. You know. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Even, even though even though we kind of got his name completely wrong um, at least 50 oh, times. Is, at but it's all good. But listen, guys, yes. hope you've enjoyed today's show. Uh, if you have enjoyed today's show, by the way, please do me a favor. Give us a one or a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, whatever your preferred platform. Uh, but for me and Easy, all good. Happy days. Hope you're having a great day, week, month. And uh, from me and Easy, uh, have a great day. Take care. See you soon. Cheers. Take care.